Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and welcome to the third and final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I'm Jonani Tulo. Driving the show with me is Anne Musa and Tabiso Lehoko. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine this hour. Zambia's health minister becomes the latest high-profile victim of the COVID-19 pandemic. South Africa's National Assembly holds its first virtual plenary and an economic South African Airways business rescue practitioners say they will present a rescue plan to government on Friday. But before we get into these top stories, let's get a full news bulletin and here's Anne. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa. The U.S. has passed 100,000 deaths from the coronavirus outbreak in less than four months. It has seen more fatalities than any other country and its 1.7 million confirmed infections account for about 30% of the worldwide total. Globally, 5.6 million infections have been recorded with nearly 355,000 COVID-19-related deaths since the virus emerged in China late last here. Professor Justin Lester, an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins University, says there will be more infections and deaths. I don't think it's the peak. I think that uh, we'll continue to see cases for a long time into the future. The fact of the matter is there's still people susceptible to infection in the United States. It's still most of the country. Only places like New York City do I think have any confidence that they won't see another peak. We don't have one central health system. Every state, sometimes even every locality, is making its own decisions, and that's led to a mismatch of uh, policies across the country. In South Africa, the coronavirus death toll has risen to 552 after 28 more people succumbed to COVID-19-related illnesses. The number of confirmed coronavirus cases has risen to 25,937. The figure has increased by 1,673 in a 24-hour period, the biggest single-day increase to date. The health ministry says 52% of infected people have recovered from the viral infection. The number of active cases now sits at 11,934. Minister in the South African presidency, Jackson Mtembu, says the religious sector will now also be among those opening under level three of the lockdown. And that's why the media briefing on the lockdown regulations was moved from yesterday to this afternoon. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that the country's churches and other places of worship can reopen their doors from the 1st of June, but will be limited to 50 people. Mtembu says the Coronavirus Command Council media briefing on level three regulations will take place.
the president met with the churches recently and because of his meeting with the churches that's why he then the president made the pronouncement he made yesterday in relation to including our fraternal churches in the level three opening up so therefore that necessitated that the regulations that kick in level three must also include the churches so that's why we are here to explain that that has occasioned the delay of the minister coming to the public with the regulations. The rights group Amnesty International is calling on the Tunisian authorities to halt the prosecution of blogger Emma Shuge, whose trial is set to begin later in the day. The 27-year-old blogger is being prosecuted for sharing a satirical post about coronavirus on a social media account that looks like a verse from Islam's holy book, the Quran. If convicted, Shugay could face a prison sentence of up to three years. Imitating a Quranic text is considered a violation of something that is deemed to be sacred. The UN says at least 38 people have been killed by an armed group in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo. They were killed in a series of attacks by the Allied Democratic Forces in the provinces of Ituri and North Kivu. A local monitoring group says nearly 500 civilians have been killed by the ADF since the launch of an army offensive against the group in November. The ADF originated as a Ugandan Islamist militant group but is now based in the DRC and does not appear to be fighting for a religious cause. And finally, in tennis news, as Britain eases its lockdown, social tennis players have begun to return to the courts. Tennis is one of several non-contact sports Boris Johnson's government allowed to resume on the 11th of this month. Other sporting activities allowed to resume include jogging, golf and angling. Players are allowed back on the courts if they follow strict rules issued by British Lawn Tennis Association. John Stevens, who is the bar manager at the Camber Lawn Tennis Club in south-east London, explains. Unless we're a family group of four, we can only play singles and we can play with one other person who is not a member of the family. We've got all the LTA rules, so we have to make sure that we socially distance at all time. We have to use hand sanitizer. If we change ends, we have to change either side of the net so that we don't pass each other. I think that a lot of people it's been quite euphoric coming back after a few weeks to play but I think it's gradually dawning on people that it's not quite the same club as it was and it's going to be like that for some time. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne, for that news update. Zambia's health minister is the latest to be added to a long list of 1,057 COVID-19 cases recorded in that country. Government has confirmed... Government has confirmed this development announced by Secretary to Cabinet Simon Miti has brought about fears and anxiety in members of the Fourth Estate. As our correspondent Arthur Sikopo reports, Zambia has 271 active cases, 7 deaths and 779 recoveries. Chitalo Chelofia, a medical doctor by profession, has joined the long list of 1,057 persons 
to test positive for COVID-19. He is the latest high-ranking government official to test positive for COVID-19 after his information counterpart, Dora Celia, was over the weekend taken in. The two ministers have been the face of COVID-19 in Zambia as they appeared on daily basis at national press briefings, giving out information on how many tested positive, from where, and how people could prevent themselves from contacting the virus, among others. This development has brought to light fears in the media fraternity that has ever been reporting about the ravaging global pandemic. Mostly, healthcare workers are the ones considered as frontline professionals, neglecting the fourth state, the media, which is ever on the ground reporting and giving out information to the public every hour. I talked to a few journalists, and clearly their concerns are clear and candid. Virginia Chilongo, a young journalist in her early career, is one of those that today live in fear, considering that she is one of the journalists in the country that frequently cover the press briefings of COVID-19, chaired by the two ministers. I'm one of those that are at risk, and not just risk, but high risk, because I'm in such close proximity with both of them. My first impression of when I heard that information minister had tested positive for COVID-19 was, wow, it was very shocking. And, and interestingly enough, in that on a particular day, I was with the Minister of Information in her office, and less than 48 hours later, she tests positive. So um, that really has me worried. Though Virginia feels more at risk due to her exposure, she has held her courage up high. Um, we just hope for the best. Nchimunyangando, another journalist from a private media house in Lusaka, is worried following the latest testing of COVID positive by health minister as he has been more frequent in attendance at events the two top government officials have been chairing with the more recent that being chaired by health minister. Nchimunya is today expected to test so as to ascertain his fears. It's quite worrisome, but uh, for me to completely forget about this whole thing, I think the best that I should do is go for, for testing as well, which I should be doing tomorrow. Favorite Kalando is one other journalist who has been at the events addressed by both ministers recently. She expresses concern when she first heard of the news of information minister being taken in. The last briefing that I attended was for the information minister, Dorasilia, that took place on the 24th of May, 2020. The moment I saw her tweet that um, she has been tested positive for COVID, I was scared. The first thing that came into my mind was the baby, the four month baby at home. I was so scared, I was like, Oh my God. One thing in common is that all journalists agree that as a profession, they are doing much to sensitize people on various matters and COVID-19 is key among them. But this does not go without challenges. The challenge has been truthful and accurate information coming from those charged with its custody. You remember when this whole started, government would give a position and when you go 
on the ground you'll find that um, there is totally a different situation altogether. Has there been any follow-up on those journalists that are each day exposed to risk factors around COVID-19, especially after the two top government officials tested positive since the weekend? Lacking proper contact tracing, the Zambian government is today only asking journalists that could have been in close contact or attended events where the two ministers addressed to reach out to the Ministry of Health for medical advice and analysis of proximity. Virginia and Chimonia respond respectively. Well, actually, I haven't been called. I haven't been contacted in as far as contact tracing goes. I've not been called, maybe because of a um, period that I had been in contact with these two ministers was after over 10 days or so. Well, in as far as focus has gone to the healthcare professionals, it is imperative that key workers like journalists should not be forgotten and attention should be given to them equally. Arthur Davis Sikopo, reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia. The first oral question session of South Africa's National Assembly since the national lockdown was dominated by issues related to COVID-19. The session was hosted through hybrid with Minister in the Social and Governance Cluster answering questions from members of Parliament. Less than 100 MPs were inside the chamber while others joined the meeting on a virtual platform, Zaline Merrington reports. Parliament's first hybrid oral question session had its fair share of technical glitches, with Minister for Social Development Lindy Wezulu not being able to answer any questions at all. MPs mostly asked questions around the reopening of schools and the readiness of the health system to deal with the virus. Schools are reopening on the 1st of June, with Grade 7 and 12 returning first. Connecting virtually, Basic Education Minister Angie Macheja assured MPs that schools will be ready to open and that the necessary personal protective equipment will be made available. This week, because they were expecting teachers, the teachers' PPEs are arriving. The learners' PPEs will arrive on time because what we were avoiding, there are breakages if they know that there are valuable items in schools. There are always breakages. We already have an inc- many incidents of breakages in schools just this week. We even had deaths where people were killed trying to break into our schools. She says the department is confident that it is making the right decision to reopen schools. From our own health department, but also experts in the area, uh, Mr. Sheikh, are saying there is no reason why we must keep children at school, at home. So we've also said, because we're dealing with a very difficult environment, where people are rightfully anxious and we know schools are good for children. They're playing the streets now, they are, they are fine. It can be cold when they go to school and it's warm when they are home. It can be safe when they play in the streets and it becomes extremely unsafe when they come to schools. The health minister, William Kize, also on a virtual platform, says based on several models, it is expected that the virus would reach its peak between June and August. He says while the projections are not cast in stone, deaths are estimated around 30,000 to 50,000. Currently, the country has 5,000 beds in the intensive care units available, but more could be acquired. At the moment, the estimated number of uh, ICU beds was just over 5,000. 
and that number was combining both public and private, but we have also then uh, started looking at additional beds that are being fitted for particularly the provinces that were estimated to be uh, going to be heavily hit, mainly the Gauteng and the Western Cape. We have got an arrangement to be able to use the private hospital beds, which has already started. There are issues we are still cleaning up between us and the private sector, and that is the cost of the beds. He also explained what the basis was for allowing religious gatherings, taking the risk of cluster infections into consideration. There are also issues of social activities, which are very critical for some of the people's lives, particularly the aspect of uh, spiritual ministry, the area of uh, supporting people spiritually, psychological counselling, that becomes very important. And so when you uh, move forward, you do understand that uh, we will be having this COVID-19 for the next year or two, and therefore it would be impossible to actually say there's no um, uh, uh, religious activity that could be allowed. And that report by Zeline Merrington. Let's take a break. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus, also called COVID-19, for Channel Africa from Planta in Malawi, I am George Mohango. Washing your hands with soap and water or using alcohol-based hand rub kills viruses that may be on your hands. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. There's been a slight change to our programming. Your favorite program might not be broadcast at the usual time and you might just hear a program that you have missed. We, however, continue to keep you informed and entertained. Channel Africa, bringing you programming from an African perspective. And it's 18 minutes after 7 o'clock Central African time right here on Africa Rise and Shine. The Johannesburg Emergency Services has called on residents to refrain from using house warmers that could endanger their lives. This week is said to be the coldest week since the start of the year. The South African Weather Service has warned that the cold weather will continue up into the weekend in different parts of the country. Horisani Sitone reports. A cold front has hit parts of the country since Tuesday, and the Weather Service says this is the coldest week since the beginning of the year. The Johannesburg EMS is concerned that the cold weather may lead people to make use of warming devices. EMS spokesperson Robert Mulaudzi says they will remain on high alert, particularly in informal settlements, to ensure people's safety. We all know that uh, we have a significant uh, drop of temperatures. It's extremely cold, so our residents might be tempted to use uh, heating devices like uh, heaters, paraffin stoves, candles, and also in Baula. So we're urging all our residents to 
make sure that those eating devices are uh, looked after while in use. Uh, they must not leave them unattended so that we can be able to prevent uh, fire incidents. From our side, as emergency services, we will remain on high alert. In areas such as the Western Cape, there's been snowfalls earlier in the week. South African Weather Services forecaster Kumsama Sizana says the cold front will continue and flooding can be expected in parts of the Western Cape. We had that cold front that moved over the country. That was the first cold snap of the season. As a result, it dropped the temperatures significantly. It's going to take some time for the temperatures to recover. We do have an approaching cold front that's currently still to the west of the country. Um, isolated to scattered showers and rain are expected over the western areas of the Western Cape. Widespread even over the Cape Metro area of the Western Cape where localized flooding is also expected. Some of the Joburg residents had this to say. It makes the situation very worse of working from home. It becomes uncomfortable. It seems like the cold temperatures have sneaked up on us because it's as if we weren't expecting it even though we do know it's winter season. And that report by Hurisani Sitole. The Comrades Marathon, the world's oldest and largest ultramarathon, has been cancelled due to the coronavirus pandemic. The race, which runs for 89 kilometres between South Africa's two coastal cities, namely Durban and Pietermaritzburg, would have seen its 95th edition run this year. But in light of South Africa's growing COVID-19 numbers, the decision was made to call off the ultramarathon completely. It was originally set to take place on June the 14th on the line. We are joined by three times Comrades Marathon champion Bongumu Samtembu to talk about what the cancellation means to him and what he has been up to during this lockdown. Uh, good morning Bongumu San. Thank you so much for joining us here on Channel Africa. Thank you for having me and thank you uh, for the opportunity. Bongumusa, what was your initial reaction when the announcement was made that this year's uh, marathon has been cancelled? Yeah, it was so difficult. I mean, uh, I've been preparing for last, like from November last year, mm. uh, but uh, this this is what the situation that we face along with, all over the world. So as an athlete, I had to understand, and uh, because I can't control the situation. But other than that, I mean, it was uh, devastating news. I mean, uh, I've always prepared for comrade, and this is what I do for living, mm. and uh, I had to accept it. It's difficult mm. though. Especially for me, because whenever I train, I train for competing. Not like um, I'm not a social runner, but mm. I always try to compete where I've always get a dead man myself to compete. But uh, yeah, man, we had to respect the rules. Uh, we had to respect the situation. Hopefully, this will be the history and we'll be cooperating to our normal life and to the sport that we are, we, are, we are loving to do. And what makes the Comrades Marathon special for you specifically? I mean, as, a, as an athlete, you know, we will always uh, have a plan that uh, we will do certain distances, maybe when we start to retire. Some other athletes, they do shorter distances up until they retire. Some other athletes, they do shorter distance, middle distance, and uh, over distance, I mean, uh, ultra marathon. So that was my case. I've ran a shorter distance, 42, and now ultra marathon. So mm. I decided that I'm going to do comrade now. So... As that as it has stand, the only race that I compete a year, except if I get an opportunity to represent, I mean, South Africa abroad. A handful of marathons have been cancelled, you know, as the country, could, as the world even rather, continues to fight mm-hmm. against COVID-19. What do you think this means for the running community as a whole? 
Yeah, I think it is so difficult, but uh, I think yeah, we also uh, have to learn as an athlet. I mean, different uh, ways of living and also different ways to maybe to address some other sponsorship because uh, luckily nowadays we have like social media. We I think we we it's time to learn so many things and athletes, you know, and experience some other things that maybe other athletes um, all over the world are doing. You know, uh, we are so lucky that uh, some other sponsorship that we had, they've tried to have a group so we can share as an athlete different views and what we can do in the meantime. Mm. And obviously it's just been uh, over two months, you know, since the country um, had, we've, we've had this national lockdown. As a top flight athlete, how have you been dealing with this lockdown? You mentioned that obviously you train, you know, for for. for, for, for for professional purposes, mm. um, for a month there, we couldn't run outside. You couldn't uh, go outside. It's only been, I think, in the second month that we've been able to uh, mm. go and run outside, even a five kilometer, not, you know, you can't mm. run for 15 kilometers. How mm. have you been keeping fit during this lockdown and how have you been dealing with it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been difficult. You know, um, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's been 13 years. Especially during this time, uh, I would always be out of even our country, uh, doing a lot of intensive training. Mm. So now, yeah, even my body, I mean, even I woke up in the early morning, you know, it's, it's been difficult, I must say. Mm. But uh, I've decided that I'm going to be close with my family, my friend, uh, so that maybe even during the day or time, they will, will keep in contact, you know, so that I keep my body working, my mind working. Mm. And try to do the, the strength take training, especially because, as you said, you know, for us, I mean, that five-kilometer red eye, is, I mean, it's, it's less. We appreciate that. Mm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's nothing for us who are doing ultramarathon. But at the end of the day, as I've said earlier, I mean, we're just hoping that this is going to be an over. Then we'll go back in normal life because this is a situation we can't, I mean, control of it. Uh, we're just hoping that uh, maybe in the next few months, Thing will speculate that we will give an opportunity, then at, at least to because for me, if I if I train, it would mm. be nice what I'm training for, you mm, know, mm. and all those kind of work. You know, you need to train your body, but knowing that where you're gonna compete, you know, yes, it's very important to keep my body in a certain position, you know, but uh, uh, if I know where I'm gonna compete, I, I think it's gonna be much better. And finally, Bongumusa, do you think the running season is over and done with, or is there still hope that some running competitions can take place later this year? I mean, we are expecting a peak, you know, in these co- in these coronavirus numbers in a in a in a month's time. Um, what what do you think? What are your thoughts? You know, for me, I've always have hope. You know, uh, and I always don't lose hope. Uh, for us, I mean, for me as an athlete, you know, I have to. Uh, the hope that uh, all these things is going to be over, and uh, we will be, we will go back into now and in our normal life. Even when when the when the Comrade Marathon Association is set, uh, the Comrade has been postponed. I carry on training, you know, up until they said it cancelled. You know, even now I will carry on, you know, in that second phase of training, uh, up until we had that. I mean. Then the year now is almost over. Then mm. we see that, uh, I mean, that we look for next year. But mm. other than that, we're just hoping that mm. 
this thing will be over, will be over because uh, for me, running is not that I'm doing for money or something, but uh, I love running. I did running because I love running because, and you know, to, to just give up and say, no, let's see for next year. I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, I think that uh, I'm not going to do that. Well, Bongumusa, thank you so much. And as you say, we do remain hopeful, you know, that things will, well, there will be a a certain level of normalcy Mm. that returns and you can be back on the road doing what you love. Thank you so much. And I think we, as a community of running, we always motivate each other. I mean, I've got so many friends in my my social media now. Mm. So even now, I'm trying to plan something to do on the the day that was going to be a comrade marathon. So, I mean, people, they can stay tuned of my Mm. social media. And what are are those social media handles? Uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So my, in my Facebook page, it's Mwamusam Tembo. So they can follow me. And yeah, so, uh, it's so nice to inter- interact with the fans and interact with, with our fellow runners because these are people we win because they are called, they are there in running. So I think we are doing so much better in, in communicating with, with them. I'm doing some live video with them, you know, asking mm. me some questions and stuff like that. All that. I mean, it keep my mind working, you know, it keep myself motivated also. So thanks for them and uh, thank you for, for this opportunity again. Thank you, Bunga Musa. That's all we have time for. Do, do stay positive and we hope you'll be back on the road running very soon. Thank you so much. And that was Bunga Musa Tembo, three-time Comrades Marathon champion, joining us on the line. Let's take a quick break. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. And it's now 7.30 Central African time right here on Africa Rise and Shine and Musa standing by for our news headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the U.S. has passed 100,000 deaths from the coronavirus outbreak in less than four months. Amnesty International is calling on Tunisian authorities to halt the prosecution of blogger Emma Shugay. And at least 38 people have been killed by an armed group in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka.
Thank you, Anne, for that news update. There is heavy traffic congestion of trucks at the Bait Bridge border post in Limpopo between Zimbabwe and South Africa. Trucks had formed a five-kilometer queue on the N1. A truck driver, Hudson Nzuza, who is traveling from Durban to the Democratic Republic of Congo, has expressed concerns about the delays. The border and traffic authorities are attending to the situation. Rudzani Chibase reports. Scenes of congestion of heavy vehicles on the N1 outside the border were experienced in March when the country started to implement lockdown and travel restrictions. Since then, it has been quiet at the border as only heavy-duty trucks were allowed to go through. However, the situation has changed since last week as high volume of trucks started arriving in large numbers resulting in long queues. Some have been there for days. A truck driver, Hudson Nzuza, who is traveling from Deben to Democratic Republic of Congo, has expressed concerns about the delays. I reached here around 04. We've been waiting and the queue is uh, moving slowly. We feel bad as, as drivers, eh? the way the queue is moving because it's not safe for us. And we are going to DRC. As myself, I'm going to DRC. I'm from Deben. So I don't know... For how long I'll reach the border. As you can see, the queue is very long. Meanwhile, Nzoza Feather says the truck drivers are avoiding the Kroblas Bridge border into Botswana on the N11 as they will be forced to be quarantined in that country to avoid the spread of COVID-19. Many trucks are using this border because of Botswana. I just had the trucks from Botswana. They were sent back to use uh, this border bed bridge. Because that side, maybe they are scared of COVID, so they are on lockdown. Another driver, Leighton Lovu, says while they were stranded in the queues to cross the border, they have no access to water and ablution facilities. I'm from Fukasa. I'm taking a JCB. That JCB is going to Zimbabwe in Kado. I've been here, this is the second day now. But still, I'm eight kilometers to reach the border gates. I just went there to inspect and see how they are waiting. It's probably it's because there are not enough staff inside. So things are very small. But we will be patient. Limbobo Transport MEC Mawungoro Ruri Ramakanya says the matter has been escalated to the National Ministry of Transport. We note that there is a congestion currently at Bedbridge border post due to strict regulations that have been introduced by our counterparts. The screening and the testing is taking long because of the fewer staff members. But as a province, we have escalated the matter to the minister who is currently attending to it. Our traffic officers are on the ground assisting and assessing the situation. We call upon all drivers to be patient and work with our officials. The traffic officers have their hands full trying to control the situation. Rosan Chibase, Bite Bridge in Limpopo. A new study by the Africa Health Research Institute has found a largely resilient primary health care system in rural Guazulu-Natal province in South Africa among adults, but some early warning signs for children. The study set out to explore the impact of the COVID-19 lockdown on access to basic health care services in a, rural, in a rural setting. rather. To shed some light on this, here is Dr. Mark Sidner, the Africa Health Research Institute faculty member.
This was real data. This is data derived directly from clinics in Nkanyakude, uh, the Africa Health Research Institute, where I work as a faculty member of scientist, mm-hmm. has uh, had a partnership with the Department of Health there going back since about the year 2000 for 20 years or so. Since 2017, part of this partnership has included us having research staff who work in clinics. And, and at these clinics, aside from uh, helping the, the Department of Health to provide care, they, they register every person who comes in the door. They ask them their age, their sex, why they've come to clinic that day. And so we were able to use these registries, these research registries, to understand who was coming to clinic and why they were coming to clinic from before the epidemic to after the epidemic. So we, we, over 50,000 visits were recorded and over 30,000 people. And so this was, this was true data, not, not a model. And what did it reveal about the access to basic health care services in this part of the country after the lockdown went into effect? By and large, what we saw was pretty reassuring. Uh, during the level five lockdown, which is a time when we were really concerned that in, uh, access to healthcare would almost completely vanish uh, due to both concerns about clinics, about transportation interruptions, we found that most visits r- remained pretty persistent. So this includes visits for HIV care, perinatal care for women before and after delivery, and for adults in general. Importantly, we did see a sizable drop in, in visits for children, and those were particularly for children coming in for vaccinations and for growth monitoring. Uh, and that was over 50% drop from before to after the introduction of the level five lockdown. But fortunately, over time during the level five lockdown and by the time of the level four lockdown introduction, we saw that those changes had had mostly been reversed since that visit had returned to normal. And did some of these findings come as a surprise or were they anticipated? They certainly surprised me. I think we were expecting a pretty strong reduction in healthcare access during the level five lockdown. We were happy to see that wasn't the case for adults and for HIV care. We were concerned about the child visits, uh, and, and we're ho- happy to see them returning to normal. But I think overall, this was reassuring data. I was happy to see that the, the healthcare system on the out- outpatient realm for this part of the country was able to maintain during the level five lockdown. And were you able to establish the reason behind the, uh, the, the drop found in child health visits, and how worrying did you find this to be? It's a great question and one we're looking into now. We're now looking at, at data from households as opposed to clinics to understand who were the families that weren't bringing their children to care. Was it those who had multiple children and need to stay home to care for their children? Was it those who lived farther from clinic, uh, those of certain socioeconomic status? And I think an important question is, who are these kids and how do we find them and make sure that they get caught up with their vaccinations or that they're being monitored appropriately? In terms of how worrying it is, it's very worrying to see drops in, in vaccination coverage. Vaccines, of course, prevent really diseases that can be prevented and cause a lot of morbidity in South Africa. But this time period was relatively short. It was about a month. And so obviously that would pertain to maybe you know, one-tenth to one-twentieth of children in the area. So if we can find these kids and make sure that they get caught up in vaccinations, I do think the long-term effects of this could be quite minimal. What do you think will happen should there be widespread community transmission of the COVID-19? Are we likely to see social fear and reduced access to the public health services leading to more people getting very ill and dying of non-COVID-related illnesses? I think South Africa has an incredible opportunity to make sure that doesn't happen. In short, because it's known that the COVID epidemic is there and because they were able to put in place measures early on to help limit the epidemic, now is the time to think of creative solutions to make sure that healthcare is not interrupted. South Africa has a long history of doing this. There's something called the CCMDD program, which you're probably aware of, that allows people who have well-controlled chronic diseases like hypertension and HIV to get their medicines in the community from, through, through pharmacies or through community-based delivery to stop people with com- uh, comorbid co- conditions who are probably at highest risk of having a bad outcome from even having to come to clinic to begin with. 
So I think if we can put it to our minds together and figure out creative solutions, we can really prevent one, interruptions to care, and two, increase transmission of COVID at clinics and other health centers by making sure that people with chronic diseases have other ways of seeking care and getting their medicines. And that was Dr. Mark Sidner, the Africa Health Research Institute faculty member, talking to Samora Mangesi, and it's now time for a break. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus for Channel Africa in Mombasa, Kenya, I am Diana Wanyonyi. Droplets spread virus. By following good respiratory hygiene, you protect the people around you from viruses such as cold, flu, and COVID-19. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulta Njoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you. You can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of, of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. And it's 41 minutes after 7 o'clock Central African time right here on Channel Africa. You're still tuned in to Africa Rise and Shine. Remember, you can always WhatsApp us at plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven, or please do tweet us at Channel Africa 1. The COVID-19 pandemic recently reached a milestone in Africa with more than 100,000 confirmed cases. The virus has now spread to every country on the continent since the first case was confirmed in the region just over four. 14 weeks ago. To discuss this further, Samora Mangesi spoke to Dr. Mary Stevens, the technical officer at the World Health Organization's Regional Office for Africa. So if you look at the statistics, uh, it's, it's over three months now since we had the first case, which was reported uh, in Egypt on 25th of uh, February 2020. Um, so if you look at the trends, um, the, uh, in terms of the way the cases are evolving in Africa in comparison to other parts of the world, you will see that, uh, uh, yes, uh, the, 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 we, the countries continue to report cases, but definitely not at the level uh, that other countries uh, in, in other parts of the world were reporting cases. So basically, we have fewer number of cases being reported on the continent and uh, fewer number of dates. And of course, the progression 
of the outbreak has been very, very slow if you want to compare it uh, with other parts of the world. So it's been three months. We are still just a little above uh, 100,000 and uh, less than 4,000 deaths on the continent with uh, over 40 and more than 40 percent of our uh, cases have recovered. So, so you can see that uh, the picture in Africa is completely different from uh, what you see in other parts of the world. And, and I believe this is not uh, just accidental, but it's as a result of uh, uh, the early actions uh, taken by African governments uh, to, to cope for that spread of this outbreak. What do you make of those, uh, you know, those, those, uh, those steps that the African uh, nations have taken in comparison to what we have seen other countries all around the world taking? Okay, so for the steps, first of all, uh, before we even started reporting cases on the continent, um, uh, the, the, the country started enhancing the, uh, what we call operational readiness capacity uh, for them to detect and respond to potential importation of COVID-19 cases. So from the beginning, uh, they started implementing uh, screening at the points of entry. Some of them were doing quarantine. Then when uh, cases started uh, being reported in uh, Africa, um, they, they started imposing ban on international travel. So starting from uh, high-risk countries to now all international travel, in addition to the quarantine. And within countries, they have been building capacity for surveillance, for laboratory testing, for treatment of patients and uh, contact tracing. And of course, risk communication was also ongoing, providing information to the general public. So if you look at uh, what African countries have done, it's slightly different. Uh, I, I hear people saying, even at that time, you can actually pass through other international airports without anybody asking you where are you coming from or even taking your temperature. But in Africa, that was already happening before we started having cases. So, and, and, and of course, the, 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 upon dictation of uh, the outbreak on the continent, uh, they quickly started ramping up all these measures from the surveillance itself, uh, the testing, isolation, treatment, and contact tracing. So, so there was no much of, um, let me say, denial that there is no case or that COVID is not real. Uh, but but they, they started intervening already uh, as they have fewer number of cases. And of course, we know that the outbreak continues to evolve, but the impact has not been as predicted uh, uh, at the beginning of the outbreak because people were expecting that uh, the cases will blow up in Africa because of uh, the, the weak health system we have. Uh, but fortunately enough, those early action has really, really helped to slow down the progression of the outbreak on the continent. At this point, it's, it's, it's really commendable. We commend the government of Africa for, for doing this because if we have had a um, high number of cases, then we would have been battling with how to deal with these uh, hospital admissions in addition to other high burden diseases that we have on the continent. So already overstretching a system that, that is already overwhelmed with other disease conditions. So, so this is why somehow um, Africa has been placed in a better position despite the weakness of the health system because uh, the continent has managed to slow 
down the progression of the outbreak. Of course, we know about the measures, the lockdown uh, and the other measures that have been implemented, which uh, reduce uh, the number of transmission on the continent. So this is commendable to all governments and everyone, the general population that stayed at home and observed those measures. So we commend every effort. Now, Doctor, with regards to the testing rates, we're seeing um, numbers still remaining quite low in a lot of areas. What challenges would you say that the continent is uh, definitely still grappling with in terms of expanding its testing capacity? So for testing, um, uh, the, the situation is not peculiar to Africa. Really, uh, we know uh, about the limitation of uh, uh, the test kits available globally. I, I think Africa has even done better than some parts of the world. If you look at the number of tests done per capita and the kind of testing strategy uh, they are putting in place. Yes, uh, access to uh, the uh, laboratory supplies is such a global challenge. Uh, but in Africa, if, if you are presenting with symptoms, at least you will have a test conducted. Yes, it is not enough. We can always improve, uh, but, but uh, countries are trying to adjust based on their testing strategy and the capacity they have uh, on ground to do additional testing. So basically most countries right now are testing suspected cases, they are testing contacts, and they are testing people in quarantine before they let them go after the 14 days. And that was Dr. Mary Stevens, uh, the technical officer at the World Health Organization Regional Office of for Africa, speaking to my colleague Samora Mangesi. Let's take a quick break. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authority in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. And Tabi Solohoko just walked into studio as you can hear and he's here for our economics news. Good morning. The United Nations will convene a high-level event later this afternoon to advance concrete solutions, particularly to address questions around financing amidst the development emergency caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Participants in the virtual event will include heads of state and government and the leaders of financial institutions, including the IMF and World Bank. Show and Brasspiece reports. The meeting will discuss challenges and opportunities around the need to expand liquidity in the global economy and maintain financial stability to safeguard development gains. It will also seek to address debt vulnerabilities for all developing countries to save lives and livelihoods for billions of people around the world. 
The gathering is being held within the context that the COVID-19 pandemic and the socio-economic crisis it's triggered will derail chances to achieve the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development unless there is a commensurate global response that reaches at least 10% of global GDP. Earlier, UN Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohamed warned that many developing countries, including middle-income countries like South Africa, lacked sufficient funds to fight both the pandemic and invest in recovery. Sherwin Bricepies, SABC News, New York. The Restaurant Association of South Africa says it's working on a submission to government demanding to know why places of worship will be allowed to open during Level 3 lockdown and not restaurants. Restaurants say their premises offer low risk of infection given strict new protocols that are being introduced. Places of worship will be allowed no more than 50 people at a time under stricter conditions. CEO of the Restaurant Association, Wendy Alberts, says currently restaurants are allowed to do deliveries only and many say they cannot survive. We've just uh, invited government to be able to consult with us to give us an explanation as the process that was followed in analyzing the risk factor that was used to allow the religious sector to open. And we would like that same application to be used in our submission to get restaurants open in level three on the 1st of June. So we've been in consultation with the Minister of Tourism and we have a meeting with her this evening. So once obviously been able to have our communication, we will certainly be able to give feedback on where we move forward from here. South African Airways business rescue practitioners say they will present a rescue plan to government on Friday. The lack of a business plan after five months has put the practitioners in a collision course with Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon, who has questioned some of their decisions. SAA, together with power utility ESCOM and state-owned airline SA Express, appeared before the Appropriations Committee to brief it on their financial challenges. The practitioners, Les Mattison and Sivu Dongwana, were represented by Bongani Ngasana, who told the committee that currently SAA has about 68 million US dollars in its bank account. Half of this is ring-fenced to pay back tickets that were not used by passengers. Ngasana also explained why the business rescue practitioners were not present. There's a communication that was sent out to all related, uh, to all affected parties today that dealt with a lot of items. And the issue of the plan is also part of that. That is talking about the rationale and some of the delays in the plan. The plan is set to be published on the 29th of May, which is this Friday. And that is why the business rescue practitioners are not on this call. They are busy with that plan. Kenya's Monetary Policy Committee says that the central bank has kept its benchmark lending rate at 7% as expected, judging that its current accommodative stance remained appropriate. The committee has cut its main interest rate by a total of 125 basis points over two meetings to support the economy since its first case of the coronavirus was reported in mid-March. The committee says the policy measures adopted in March and April were having an intended effect on the economy and are still being transmitted. 
Namibia's finance ministry says the country's economy is seen contracting by 6.6% this year and by 1.1% next year as of the COVID-19 pandemic wrecks economies globally. It says that the budget deficit is likely to reach 12.5% of gross domestic product in 2020-2021 fiscal year, which began in April from an estimation of 4.7% of gross domestic product in 2019-2020. The US dollar is trading at 388.84 Nigerian Nara, 11.83 Botswana Pula, 105.96 Kenyan Shilling, and 17.87 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 5 real 31. In Russia, 70 rubles 93 in india 75 rupees 26 in india seven in rather in, in china seven yuan 17 and in south africa it will cost you 17 rand 40 the u.s dollar is also trading at 81 pence to the british pound and at 91 cents to the euro gold 1700 dollars platinum 819 dollars per ounce Brent crude oil, $34.78 a barrel. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today. From myself, Cholani Tulo, producer Luyanda Maume, technical producers Fiso Mashekho and the race star of the Africa Rise and Shine team, thank you for listening. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Nono by Ndando. Do enjoy and please keep safe. <laughs>